0: Well, good, morning. good morning. Welcome. If this is your first time, I'm glad you could be here. My name is David. This is my brother, Reuben. Um, God has called us as Hope Church uh, to really dive into the hope of Jesus Christ. And in that hope, uh, we have found unity in, in difference of language and difference of culture, um, that God would create one family in the hope of Jesus Christ in a way that we don't see in the world around us. So welcome. This morning, we're finishing our series through the letters of hope, H-O-P-E. And as we're going through each of the letters, uh, we have each letter standing for a fundamental, foundational principle uh, for those things that are necessary to, to have a life that is thriving in the hope of Jesus Christ. To have a church that's meeting its purpose in the hope of Jesus Christ. These are essentials to our life. So we went the, the letter H was hearing with faith, opening the word of God, and trusting it, opening ourselves to receive it. Uh, With the O, obedience by faith, not just being hearers of the word of God, but doers and following the guidance and and, and obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ, following what he has for us to do. In the P, we had prayer, praying in faith. The the essential part, even in in every other letter of prayer, uh, as we open God's word, as we follow God in faith, as we lift each other up. Praying is powerful. And this morning where all of this leads, why? The, the why behind every other letter is in enjoying God. Enjoying God. What does it mean to enjoy God? You ever had a really good, go to one of those really expensive restaurants, and, and you know the meal is just going to be this amazing thing. When you go there, do you just scarf down the meal as fast as you can and move on? Pay the check and you're out of there? No, you want to enjoy it. You want to take it in. You want to savor every part of it. The person in my life who taught me the most about savoring is my mother. My mother loves to savor things. But when She would talk about being a kid and she'd get that lollipop or she'd get that thing that... And and she would take longer than anybody else to finish that thing because she was gonna savor every little bit of it, and that was part of her life. Uh, we lived, um, we built built a house in Ramona, just outside of uh, San Diego, and and we had wraparound porches. This was this was my mom's dream home that she built, and we were overlooking a valley, and and she would just sit on the porch and savor the moments of just either sipping a cup of tea or, or, or you know, iced tea or, or a cup of coffee and just enjoying moments and savoring them. Throughout our lives, as, as there's been even difficulty that we've gone through, it's my mom who's looking at... Just things to be thankful for in those moments, to savor those moments and say, I'm so glad that I get to be here with my child, with my grandchild at this moment. And she's the one to just recognize those things and savor in thankfulness and to enjoy them in those moments. Savoring, enjoying. What does it mean to enjoy? God, it's to to enjoy everything that we have in him. In Him, there's life. In Him, there's peace. In Him, there's rest. In Him, there's reason to rejoice. In Him, there is joy. Enjoy, God. And that's kind of going to be our focus. And and enjoying God is the joy aspect of what we find in God our Father. There's a popular verse that that makes it to t shirts, it makes it to mugs, it makes it to to things to go on the wall. you might have seen it. Uh, the joy of the Lord is my strength. That quote. It's a great, great thing to have posted somewhere where you're going to see it. Um, the joy of the Lord is my strength. I want that to be real. I, want, I, I don't want to... There, there's promise in that. That is from the Word of God. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Sometimes I think we can get to a place where in the midst of difficulty or or in the midst of where, where we don't feel strong, we don't feel joyful, we look to that and we go, where is that? And so we say, well, I'm supposed to be that. And so then we say, well, then then I'm going to put on a happy face, I'm going to smile, and and I'm going to be joyful. And that works. It's not a bad thing to intentionally be joyful. But in that effort, we're creating something on the surface while underneath, oftentimes, it's still, boy, where is the joy? And, And where's the strength? How do I even connect to those things? This morning, I want to dive into word, the Word of God to really answer that. Where is the joy? Because it's there. What do we do? Do we just try harder to put on a joyful face, to, to reach that place that, that is it's essential to, to life in Christ, to enjoy God this isn't just a, a, an, an extra benefit. This is an essential part to having an effective life in Christ. And that's, we're going to look at that too. Why is that essential? But boy, it's important, us, important for us to know from God's word, His direction, where is the joy? How do we increase in that joy? Maybe there's, there's something, we feel it there. But, but we're going, it's, it's not the fullness of that. How do I get to that place that's in that promise, that that joy is so much that it becomes a strength to my life? So we're going to look at this morning. let's, let's pray, Father, I recognize right now that it's, it's not in our own strength that we're going to get to where you have us. It's not in our own ideas, in our, in our own concepts of, of how things happen that in our own wisdom that, God, we can reach the glory of what you have for us. Jesus, you are the way maker, and we know that that the way towards what you have for us, the life that we have in you is through Jesus, through you, Lord Jesus. And in your word, we can find the truth and the life. Holy Spirit, you can show us in your word that truth. So I pray that you do that this morning. Open our eyes to the truth of your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. To enjoy God. Well, let's understand that verse. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Where does that come from? That's Old Testament. That's Nehemiah chapter eight. Let's look there. Nehemiah chapter eight. What's going on here is Israel has been um, in exile. Israel turned from God, and ultimately, as they followed false gods, and they, they did all sorts of terrible things against God, um, just as God said, they uh, went into exile in Babylon. They, they were conquered, uh, Jerusalem destroyed. And God said it'd be for 70 years. And sure enough, after 70 years, they're released to come back. And they, and they come back, and, and Nehemiah leads the way for them to rebuild the walls of this city and and it's about a week after finally finishing rebuilding the walls the city still it's it's a disaster on the inside but they've got this wall up around and so by the water gate now they're meeting we see in chapter 8 starting in verse 1 it says and all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate They told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. This would have been the first five books of this Bible or the law. Now, they're only gonna be meeting from from the break of dawn to midday. There's no way they read through the whole thing. Um, I would guess that a lot of the focus was in the book of Deuteronomy. But that is, it's it's in our Bible, what they would have been opening, not as a book, but as as scrolls, um, to read before the people. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard. Everyone who could possibly understand God's word. We're we're heading into hearing with faith here. An Old Testament version of that. On the first day of the seventh month. And Ezra read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. Beside him stood a bunch of people, I'm not gonna try their names. Most likely priests showing their support for what he was reading out of God's word. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. For a whole half day, the people stood as the word of God was spoken. Treating it as the very words of God. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen. This is starting with worship. Lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, a bunch of names. Help the people to understand, these were the Levites, help the people to understand the law. While the people remained in their places, they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly. And they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So you have these Levites just explaining. This is what we're doing right now, explaining. This is what's in God's word. Understanding the sense of it. Understanding the meaning of it. And everyone who can understand, everyone who can receive it is receiving the word of God. What is the result? And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Why were they weeping? As they stood in the destruction of the city and they saw and understood the truth of God's word that 70 years before there was a reason that they went into exile. And what they have missed for those 70 years is God's purpose that he had for them there in that city. And and they saw, they just mourned over what was the evidence of their own sin that had led them into exile. And they, they mourned over what was lost. And, and in that law, they, they would have also seen just the blessing that had been there and the promise of blessing had they followed the Lord and they didn't. And so, of course, that understanding leads to mourning over their own sin, really, of what was lost. But he says, do not mourn or weep. In verse 10, then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. There's the context of that promise. He says, this day is holy. Do not mourn, but be joyful. Celebrate, go have a party For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Why is God calling this day holy? Why is God telling them, don't mourn, but be joyful? I think we can gain a little more insight into this by jumping back to the New Testament in the book of Luke. I want to understand what it really means. The joy of the Lord is my strength. In Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11, Jesus is telling a parable. Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided, the father divided his property between the two sons. with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. What's the picture here? A son who had an inheritance says, give me that inheritance. I'm gonna go my own way. And he leaves to go his own way, squanders that whole thing. And then hardship comes, finds himself destitute, living among the pigs, wishing he could eat what the pigs were eating. Ever been a point in your life where you just, you had such great expectations of what life was gonna bring and you just went your own way? Not what God wanted. Went your own way and found ultimately a place where you're bankrupt in yourself. Everything that you had hope in is is gone and the difficulty comes. Maybe you're not, literally in a pig pen, but you feel that way. Life is disappointments. So what does he do? Verse 17, but when he came to himself, it's like it took that long. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here in hunger. I will rise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. I'd rather be one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father, but when he was still a long way off, the father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him and the son said to him father i have sinned his prepared speech i have sinned against heaven and before you i am no longer worthy to be called your son the father ignores him but the father said to his servants bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. What happened here? The son realized and mourned his sin. He saw the destitute situation he was in because he had walked away from God. What had Israel seen in that moment there by the water gate? They understood their sin. They came to their senses and saw the goodness and the glory of God, and they mourned their sin. Why was this moment with the prodigal son special to God? Why was that day holy to God with the Israelites? Why was there reason to celebrate for this prodigal son? Why was there reason to celebrate for the people of Israel there by the water gate? Because they were dead, but now they're made alive again. The day is holy and special to the Lord because of of his joy. Can you imagine that son? The son doesn't have joy in that moment. The father has joy. He's wrapping his arms around that son saying, you're back. And, and he's clothing him and wrapping him. The, the strength of joy that is instilled into that son is not that son trying to be joyful. It is the overwhelming joy of the father poured into the son. Saying, I love you. I am I, going to celebrate this day because you have returned. And in the remorse of your heart, and the remorse of your sins, seeing that and coming back, let's rejoice So when we say the joy of the Lord is our strength, it's not about trying to produce joy in myself. It's about coming back and being near the Father. It's about being in the presence of the Father. And so our first reason, our first how and where is the joy, it's in fellowship with God. How do I get to that joy? Do I try harder to be joyful? Do I just put on a happy face? No, that, that wasn't going to work for, for the prodigal son in the pig pen. As long as he stayed in the pig pen, real joy. He could fake it all day long. It wasn't going to be real joy. He needed to return to the Father. And it was going to be the joy of the Father that would give him strength. So if I know I need to grow closer to God... But I'm still still dealing with with the struggle. There's confusion. It's not clear. How do I get back to the Father? It it seems good in a parable, but this is my life now. Tomorrow I'm going to go to work. How does that work? I'm still dealing with life. I'm still dealing with the difficulties of work. I'm still dealing with difficulties in family. It's how, how do I navigate that to make what was real in the prodigal's life real in my life to come close and be be in the presence of my Father to then be instilled with his joy. That's what the letters of hope have been all about. If you haven't got it yet, why do we have the importance of hearing with faith? Why do we have the importance of trusting what God says is important in my life and just doing it in obedience? Why do we have the importance of prayer and, and praying for each other and lifting each other up when, when we're sinning to invite other people, you know, a sin, I can't overcome that, invite people into that so that I can be free from that sin. All of that is to get me to a place where I'm enjoying now the presence of God and in His presence now His joy is instilled into me. His his life is instilled into me. His peace, His rest, every aspect of who God is now is not something I'm trying to produce in myself, but because I am close to Him, He is instilling that into me. That's the why of all of this. To be near the Father. As As we go through the Word of God, This comes up in so many different ways. You get in some wonderful passages, John chapter 15, all about abiding with Christ. What's that? Christ is the way to the Father. The only way. We're saying about the way maker. It's only through Christ. And when we abide with Christ, what is he saying in that chapter? He's saying... This is my commandment that you love one another. Why is he giving us this direction to abide with him and to to obey his commandments? It's so that his joy will be in us and our joy will be full. We see that right there. In Galatians chapter 5, it's talking about walking by the Spirit. These are all analogous concepts of, of the prodigal returning back to the Father. Of in obedience, walking according to what God has for us to do, trusting him in that. It might not make sense in my marriage, in my relationships, that, that God would have me do something that's, that's coming from his word. How does that add up? But as I'm doing that, he's guiding me back to him. In, in chapter 5 of Galatians, what is the fruit of the Spirit? The first two. Love, joy, peace. Everything that we have to enjoy from God is going to be the fruit of the Spirit working in my life as I'm walking according to the Spirit. That's obedience by faith. 1 John chapter 1. It's all about darkness and light. God is light. In Him is no darkness at all. How can I say that I'm in fellowship with God if I am holding on to sin? If I'm holding on to darkness... If I don't feel joy in my life, know that I'm going to have to let go of those things in my life that are darkness, things that God is convicting me of if I really want to enjoy fellowship with God. And then that promise right there alongside it, 1 John, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness so that we can go from this place of being out of fellowship with God and enjoy his presence and have him wrap us up in his arms. Declare the day holy, and the Bible says heaven rejoices when even one sinner repents and turns to the Lord. There's joy. Where is the joy? It's in fellowship with God, and it's only through Jesus Christ. It's in the hope of Jesus Christ. If I'm living and I don't, I don't feel joyful, when it says, the joy of the Lord is your strength, and I'm going, it's not a reality in my life. What do I need to do? I know I need to be in fellowship with the Father. The only way to get there is gonna be through the hope of Jesus Christ. And the hope of Jesus Christ, that's, that's the lifeline of a Christian. Uh, It's through relationship with Jesus Christ that we have hope. And there is no amount of persecution that can take that from a Christian who continues to focus on the person of Jesus Christ and learns who Jesus is and loves Jesus. And their hope is in Jesus. When Peter wrote, uh, 1 Peter, he wrote it uh, to the churches dispersed throughout the area. And this was at a time of great persecution, vicious persecution. Uh, the emperor Nero, uh, emperor at that time, um, the Romans had believed that he was responsible for burning down the city of Rome. You realize he had a problem on his hands? See, The city of Rome had in it everything that culturally was important to them, their gods, their, their culture, everything. And... and And it was devastating to the Roman people when that happened. And so as they're looking to him as the culprit, he needed to do something. And how convenient, these Christians, to blame it on them. No, the Christians were the ones that burned down Rome. And so terrible persecution started to come after that. So 1 Peter is written into the context of persecution. Is he, if there's anyone who had an excuse, humanly, to say, no, there, there's no joy in this. There's no hope in this, it would have been them. But what does he say? First Peter chapter 1 and verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great exclamation point. He starts with, blessed God. Thank you, Lord, rejoicing even as he starts here. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There's hope, there's joy in that foundational principle that we have been born again in Christ Jesus and we have hope to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Our hope in Jesus Christ looks forward to what we will have one day as we endure right now the difficulties of this world. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Ultimately we'll be free from sin, perfectly in the presence of our God. In this you rejoice. There we go. Joy, rejoicing. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. But there's, there's even joy to be seen in the trials. Why? Because, because by those trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith by those trials, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in Praise and glory and honor At the revelation of Jesus Christ The trials we endure now Will result in praise and glory and honor On that day that we look forward to So can we have hope In a person we can't see Can we have hope In a person we can't physically feel Yes our hope and joy is in Jesus, and that's said so clearly in verse eight. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not, see, not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. In Jesus. If I'm in a place of struggling with joy, how much time am I spending just to get to know Jesus better? How much time am I spending just in prayer say, Jesus, help me to know you more. Help me to, to treasure you more, to delight in you more. Open up one of the four Gospels where there's so much of just Jesus, his words and the things that he said and the things that he did. Get to know Jesus better. Jesus is the way to the Father. Fellowship with God is what we need through the hope of Jesus Christ. So what does the joy of the Lord accomplish in the life of a believer? Why is this an essential? Why is it one of the letters up there that, that you, can't, you can't be an effective Christian without it? So three things real quick that, that are part of what the joy of the Lord accomplishes in our life. The first one we already covered, Nehemiah. The joy of the Lord is our strength. It is. When, when we do set aside all of our sin, let go of it, confess it to the Lord, and recognize God, I, I make my life destitute, but in you there is life. And, and in repentance, then we turn to God, just as the prodigal son did. And in his presence then, because he is light and in him is no darkness at all. And through confession, Christ has now washed me clean. He's, he's purified me. He's, he's cleansed me from all unrighteousness so that now I'm enjoying the presence of God in a new way. And that joy is being instilled into my life. His, his character is being instilled into my life. What does that accomplish in my life? It gives me strength. Just as you kind of consider the prodigal son, how that would have given him strength to encourage him, to lift him up and onto his feet and say, you're right, you squandered everything. You're right, you really screwed up. But no, my joy is gonna be in you. My strength is gonna be in you. I am gonna set you on your feet. There's so much more even than strength that we have in that. But it's in God's strength then that we can go forward because of the joy that we have in the Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord, secondly, testifies to the hope that is in me. This is essential for us to be effective as a a Christian in, in whatever circles God has put us in is that we live a real faith? It's not something we're manufacturing, but we really do pursue God, and, and as a result, there's real change in our life that people see. In this context of First Peter, what does he say? Let's look in First Peter chapter three, starting in verse thirteen. They're being persecuted. It's it, to the outside world. It's devastating. But then it says, in verse 13, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Their their hope isn't in this world. Their hope is set in the future. You can't destroy that. You kill them and they go to be with Christ. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy Holiness. What is that characteristic? People get confused about what holiness is. One way to look at holiness is you take every characteristic of who God is, his love, his kindness, his justice, his mercy, his grace, uh, the peace that is in God, the, the, the loving kindness that's in God, everything that is, the joy that is in God, wrap that all up in, in the just the immense, uh, infinite Character of God, of who he is, and wrap all that up. That is the holiness of God. Treat Christ as holy. Everything I need is in Christ. Honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect." That word for defense, um, the Greek word behind that is apologia. That's where we get the word apologetics from. Uh, Last season, we had an apologetics hope group. That's what that's about. It seems like a big word. What is that? It's just about expressing the hope, defending the hope that is in you. What's the context of this? Being prepared to make a defense To anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. They see something different in you. And they say, why are you different? Why are you still smiling? You shouldn't be smiling. Your family's being tortured. You're being thrown before lions. You're being crucified, burned at the stake. Why are you still joyful? So he says, be prepared to give an answer. The joy of the Lord testifies. It's not me pretending to be joyful. It's the real joy that is coming through fellowship with God Is a testimony to the hope that I have. That's something people will notice. That's something people at work will notice. It's real. Why are you still smiling? Why are you still showing up to work? Everyone's ready to give up, but you're still going. Why is that? not because of me, but because let me tell you about my Lord and Savior, Jesus. Made a difference in my life. Finally, the joy of the Lord glorifies God. The joy of the Lord glorifies God. You know something about joy? You can't fake it. You, you can make it try to look right on the outside, but true joy, you just can't produce it. And that's why it makes it weird to say, is it a command of God to be joyful? Yes, but I can't just fake it. So how do I get joyful? We already talked about that. I, I enter and pursue the presence of God. I, I put my hope in Jesus Christ. I, I, I open God's word. I respond to it in faith obediently. I pray. And, and I seek God, and in that, I get to a place of being joyful. You can't fake the joy that would be received through the presence of God. So when we are joyful, who does that bring glory to? That brings glory to the one who instilled his joy in us. In 1 Peter, again, we're just going to jump around 1 Peter a little bit. We're almost done. Chapter two and verse nine it says, "But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession." Boy, the picture of the Father in that. that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light." Why? so that we can proclaim his excellencies. Is that just with my words? No, it's with my whole life that has been transformed by the presence of God, now proclaiming the excellencies of God. That's what it's about. We talked about holiness. Holiness, every attribute of God that transforms our lives wrapped up into one word, the holiness of God. Ben, if you want to go, go ahead and come on up, I'm going to read one more thing. We go back, chapter in 1 Peter, chapter 1 and verse 13, it says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that would be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's where we should be we should be setting our hope fully on Christ. And ultimately on that day when he's going to be revealed. And we'll see him face to face. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. How often do we read that? And all we can think of is this imposed Command of, oh, I've got to just get everything right. I've got to be holy because God is holy. Do you see God's purpose in that command? His love in that command. The father reaching out to the son who's in the pig pen saying, no, you need to be holy because I am holy. What is that? That's you need to return to the father. For me to be in the presence of light, in the presence of God, I need to be holy because he is holy. He's saying, I want you to enter into my presence. I want you to fellowship with me. I want your life to be reconciled to me, holy God. And in his holiness, what do we find? We find every attribute of what is truly desirable, love, joy, peace. To have his love and his grace and his mercy and his justice and and, and everything that is God poured into us. Not because I've manufactured it in myself, but in obedience to him, I have followed him. And he has, as I'm feeling my way through life, trying to be obedient to God, I find myself in the presence of a holy God, forgiven, cleansed by the blood of Jesus, and my life is transformed. Let's sing about the holiness of God. As we sing, holy, holy, Just meditate on what that really means. God, as we declare that you are holy, Jesus, as we declare that you are worthy of our worship and praise, God, we recognize that in your holiness and in your call for us to be holy as you are holy, for us to walk in obedience and and in every aspect of our lives to submit to what you would have us do, we see your goodness and your love that you would draw us into your presence and do what is necessary. God, you did what was necessary by sending your son who would die in our place. There's no effort that we could possibly put forward to match the effort that you have put forward in drawing us and making it possible for us to come into your presence. God, put in us a desire to know you more to open your word and and just seek you and say, God, I want to know you more. You, You promised that your word will not return void. You promised that if we seek you, we will find you. God, I pray that you would just put in all of us that desire to know you more and that by doing that, we'd come closer to you and be transformed by your holiness and be made holy as you are holy. Thank you, God, for your grace and love in our life. A father who rejoices when his children return to him. It's in Jesus' name we pray.